So as many of you know, I'm a child of the 80s, and I love music. And sometimes I like the song because it had a cool beat. Sometimes I like the song because I like the words. Back in 1986, this is a group called the Pet Shop Boys. That's right. They had names like Pet Shop Boys in the 80s, and we thought it was cool. And this song is called Opportunities, and it goes, I've got the brains, you've got the looks, let's make lots of money. You've got the brawn, I've got the brains, let's make lots of money. And that's what my wife said to me when she proposed to me. And I was so moved. How could I say no? no. Now this was the 80s, and, and, and this is really what we believed in the 80s. In fact, honestly, it's, I think it's what we've always believed. We believe it today, we believed it 2,000 years ago. If you've got beauty... If you've got brains and if you've got brawn, you're going to be successful. You're going to have lots of opportunities to make lots of money. If you only have one of those things, find somebody who has the others, get together, and you're going to have lots of opportunities. So my first question to you this morning is very simply this. Which one do you have? Which one do you have? Or which one do you have the most? Do you have the beauty? Do you have the brawn? Or do you have the brains. Now, the good news for those of you who are sitting here and you're saying to yourselves, I got nothing. The good news is you don't need anything. Because when it really comes down to it, when it really matters, those things don't count. Now, for those of you who are here today and you're living on your brains, your brawn, and, and your looks, this, this could be bad news in the big picture. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when it really comes down, though, to what matters, none of that does. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the one thing that does count. The one thing that does matter. And we're going to look in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. This is actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the, uh, the Christians in Corinth. And he starts off with this very possible, very pop, um, powerful statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. Now, to understand what Paul is saying here, we have to understand what the message of the cross is. And it's very simple. The message of the cross is that God became a man. Jesus lived. Go to the next slide there. Jesus lived, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. If we repent, God will forgive us and send us his Holy Spirit. When we die, we will spend eternity with God in heaven. And Jesus one day is coming back. These, this is basically the message of the cross. Now let's go back to that verse. Because Paul says that message is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now what does he mean by that? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean people who are, who are literally dying. But it means that people whose lives are dissolving, whose marriages are failing, whose families are falling apart. And yeah, to some who are literally dying. 
The message of the cross is simply foolishness. But it is God's power to us who are being saved. So what does that mean? Well, that means people who give their lives to Christ, they are being saved, and the power to be saved comes from God. As I mentioned already, I did the funeral yesterday of uh, Frank Napka, 96 years old. He, um, I saw some pictures. I didn't really know him, but I saw pictures of him when he was back in World War II. He was a good-looking guy. He was handsome. I'm guessing he, because he was in World War II, he was, he was strong. And he was also very smart. He was part um, of the radio's operations um, in the European theater. So he had all three going for him. But this past week, when he passed away, none of that mattered. What mattered was he had given his life to Christ. What mattered was God's power was saving him. It wasn't foolishness to him. And so today, he is home in heaven. Now let's keep going. Go to verse 19. Paul continues. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. Where is the philosopher? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. All right, let's stop here for a minute. Why was this a stumbling block to the Jewish people and to the Greeks and the Gentiles? Well, basically, a couple things for the Jewish people. They struggled because Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23 says, for anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. So they believed that because Jesus was hung on a cross, he was actually under God's curse. So there was no way that he could be the Messiah. The Jews were also really big on signs. They wanted big, big, big signs. So for instance, during the time Paul wrote this, there were actually two men who proclaimed to be the Messiah, but they were fake messiahs. One man had thousands of followers because he promised that he was going to part the Jordan River and people would be able to walk across on dry land. There was another guy who promised that he was going to knock down the walls of Jerusalem just by the command of his voice. So all of these people, because they were looking for signs, followed both of these men. But guess what? They both uh, failed in their attempts. But Jesus, he was, he was pretty unassuming, right? Born in a manger. I mean, he did do miracles, but he never promoted himself. They never sold tickets to come and see Jesus do his thing. He died on a cross. So the Jewish people struggled and still do today seeing Jesus as the Messiah. Now why did the Greeks struggle? Well, two reasons. First off, they didn't believe that God could experience human emotion. So the idea of the incarnation, the idea that God became a man was revolting to them. They said no way God would ever do something like that. Also, the Greeks loved public speaking. 
You know how we'll go to concerts or we'll go to movies? They would go hear speakers. If they heard a popular speaker was coming into the neighborhood, they would skip work, they would get the day off, and they would go hear the speaker because they love people who could speak with great wisdom and fluid words. It's kind of like the early rappers, right? 2,000 years ago, there was kind of a rap thing going on, and this is what these guys were doing, and people loved it, and they came to hear it. But then came the Christian message, and it seemed sort of blunt, not very flowery wording. It seemed very simple. And so they did not believe, and they struggled. So what was Paul's response to this? Well, verse 24, he says, Yet those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. I love that verse. He's saying, you think you're smart? You think you've got it all figured out with your wisdom? Let me tell you right now, God's foolishness blows your wisdom away. And you think you're strong? God's weakest moments blow your strength away. And then he dives into this observation. Verse 26, he says, Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. In other words, there weren't a lot of Well, there were some people from high society who became followers of Christ, but many of them were simple people. They were humble people. They weren't the famous people. They weren't the rich people. They weren't the ones that were considered these amazing speakers. And it's interesting, the problem that the Greeks especially had with this. In fact, there was an author... This is his picture here. This is like his bust. His name is Celsus. He was a Greek author, and he was what you would consider the elite of that time. And this is what he said about Christianity in a mocking tone. He said, well, let no cultured person draw near, none wise, none sensible. For all that kind of thing, we count evil. He says, but if any man is ignorant... If any man is wanting in sense and culture, if any is a fool, well then let him come boldly. Right? That's what he thought of Christians. And then he said, we see them, that should be, we see them, Christians, in their own houses, wool dressers, cobblers, and fullers, the most uneducated and vulgar persons. Celsus was an elitist. Sound a little bit familiar to today? But he was also ticked off about one very important thing, and this is it. In the Roman culture, they had 60 million slaves. 60 million slaves. And they considered their slaves a living tool. Now, what does that mean? Well, they didn't consider their slaves as being humans. No. These were actually living tools. If they wanted to throw them away, they could throw them away. If they wanted to beat them up, they could beat them up. If they wanted to kill their slave for fun, they'd kill their slave for fun. It didn't matter They weren't human beings. 
But then along comes Christianity. And Christianity said to these slaves, no, 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 no. You are human. And, are you, and you're more than just human. You are sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters of Christ. And they went from having no life to having eternal life. And this really ticked the elite off. So what's going on here? I mean, why would God, why would God do this? Well, I think Paul has the answer. In verse 29, he says, So that, all this is happening so that, no one can boast in his presence. But it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became God-given wisdom. For us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. All right, folks, go to the next slide, because here's our bottom line. Uh, if you got a pen or a pencil, you got your phone out, you got your tablet, I want you to write this down. When we come to the humble acceptance that we can do nothing and that God can do everything, that's when we really start living for Jesus. Think about that for a moment. When we come to the humble acceptance that we can do nothing and that God can do everything, that's when we really start living for Jesus. See, what you have to understand is you're never going to be smart enough You're never going to be pretty enough, and you're never going to be strong enough to get yourself to heaven. And for those of you who don't believe in heaven, you're never going to be strong enough, smart enough, pretty enough to live forever. Everybody is going to someday die. And the question is, when you die, is are you going to see the message of the cross as foolishness or as the power of God. I want to read to you a quote from the former justice Antonin Scalia. Scalia. Uh, He was speaking to the Knights of the Columbus Council and he said these words. Well, you see him up front there. He was talking about um, the beliefs of Christianity such as God being born, the son of a virgin, and the concept of heaven and hell. And this is what he said. God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools, and he has not been disappointed. If I have brought any message today, it is this. Have the courage to have your wisdom regarded as stupidity. And then he added, Be fools for Christ. And have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. Be fools for Christ and have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world. The sophisticated world thinks we're silly. Whenever I meet someone who who is an atheist, I say to them, especially if they're one of my relatives, I say to them, you must think I'm Looney Tunes. They're like, oh no, oh no. Yes, you do. But this is what I know. 
there's a big difference between my life before I gave my life to Christ and after I gave my life to Christ. And it has nothing to do with strength, brains, or looks. But it has everything to do with me saying, you know what? Sure, I can do human stuff, but really it's nothing. I really can't do anything that matters without God. God can do everything. God can do everything. So the question for you today is this. Are you counting on your looks? Are you counting on your brains? Are you counting on um, your strength? Or are you resting in your humility, knowing that it's all about God and it's not about us?